The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 3, The Guillotine, Book 5, Terror, The Order of the Day, Chapter 3, Destruction. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 5, Chapter 3, Destruction. The suspect may well tremble, but how much more the open rebels, the Girondin cities of the South. Revolutionary army has gone forth under Ronsin, the playwright, six thousand strong, in red nightcap, in tricolour waistcoat, in black shag trousers, black shag spencer, with enormous mustachios, enormous sabre, in camagnol complete, and has portable guillotines. Representative Carrière has gone to Nantes by the edge of blazing Lavande, which Rossignol has literally set on fire. Carrière will try what captives you make, what accomplices they have, royalist or Girondin. His guillotine goes always, va toujours, and his wall-capped company of Marat. Little children are guillotined, and aged men. Swift as the machine is, it will not serve. The headsman and all his valets sink, worn down with work, declares that the human muscles can no more. Whereupon you must try fusillading, to which perhaps still frightfuler methods may succeed. In Brest, to like purpose, rules Jean Bon Saint-André with an army of red nightcaps. In Bordeaux rules Tallien with his Isabeau and henchmen, Guade, Cussy, Salaises may fall, the bloody pike and nightcap bearing supreme sway, the guillotine coining money. Bristly fox-haired Tallien, once able editor, still young in years, is now become most gloomy, potent, a Pluto on earth, and has the keys of Tartarus. One remarks, however, that a certain Signorina Cabaru, or call her rather Signora, and wedded, not yet widow, Dame de Fontenay, brown, beautiful woman, daughter of Cabaru, the Spanish merchant, has softened the red, bristly countenance, pleading for herself and friends, and prevailing. The keys of Tartarus, or any kind of power, are something to a woman. Gloomy Pluto himself is not insensible to love. Like a new Proserpine, she, by this red gloomy dis, is gathered, and they say softens his stone heart a little. Magnet at Orange in the south, Le Bon at Arras in the north, become world's wonders. Jacobin Popular Tribunal, with its national representative, perhaps where Girondin Popular Tribunal had lately been, rises here and rises there, wheresoever needed. Fouchés, Meignet, Barrasses, Frérons scour the southern departments like reapers with their guillotine sickle. Many are the labourers, great is the harvest. By the hundred and the thousand, men's lives are cropped, cast like brands into the burning. Marseille is taken and put under martial law. Lo, at Marseille, what one besmutted red-bearded corn-ear is this which they cut, one gross man, we mean, with copper-studded face, plenteous beard or beard-stubble of a tile-colour. By Nemesis and the Fatal Sisters it is Jordan Coupdate. Him they have clutched in these martial law districts. Him too with their national razor, their rassoir national, they sternly shave away. Lo now is Jordan the headsman's own head. Lo is Deschutes and Varignies which he sent on pikes in the insurrection of women. 
No more shall he, as a copper portent, be seen gyrating through the cities of the south. No more sit judging with pipes and brandy in the ice tower of Avignon. The all-hiding earth has received him, the bloated tile-beard. May we never look upon his like again. Jourdain won names, and other hundreds are not named. Alas, they, like confused faggots, lie massed together for us, counted by the cartload. And yet not an individual faggot twig of them, but had a life and history, and was cut not without pangs as when a kaiser dies. Least of all cities can Lyon escape. Lyon, which we saw in dread sunblaze that autumn night when the powder tower sprang aloft, was clearly verging towards a sad end. Inevitable. What could desperate valour and praise do? Dubois say, deaf as destiny, stern as doom, capturing their redoux of cotton bags, hemming them in ever closer with his artillery lava. Never would that see divant d'Ottichamp arrive, never any help from Blankenburg. The Lyon Jacobins were hidden in cellars, and Girondin municipality waxed pale in famine, treason and red fire. Bracy drew his sword, and some fifteen hundred with him sprang to saddle to cut their way to Switzerland. They cut fiercely, and were fiercely cut and cut down, not hundreds, hardly units of them ever saw Switzerland. Lyon, on the ninth of October, surrenders at discretion. It is become a devoted town. Abbe Lamorette, now Bishop Lamorette, whilom legislator, he of the old Bessier Lamorette or Delilah kiss, is seized here, is sent to Paris to be guillotined. He made the sign of the cross, they say, when Tanville intimated his death sentence to him, and died as an eloquent constitutional bishop. But woe now to all bishops, priests, aristocrats and federalists that are in Lyon. The manes of Chalier are to be appeased. The Republic, maddened to the Sibylline pitch, has bared her right arm. Behold, Representative Fouché, it is Fouché of Nantes, a name to become well known. He, with a patriot company, goes duly in wondrous procession to raise the corpse of Chalier. An ass, housed in priest's cloak, with a mitre on its head, and trailing the mass-books, some say the very Bible at its tail, paces through Lyon's streets, escorted by multitudinous patriotism, by clangour as of the pit, towards the grave of Marthe de Chalier. The body is dug up and burnt. The ashes are collected in an urn to be worshipped of Paris patriotism. The holy books were part of the funeral pile. Their ashes are scattered to the wind. Amid cries of vengeance, vengeance, which writes Fouché, shall be satisfied. Lyon, in fact, is a town to be abolished. Not Lyon, henceforth, but Commune Affranchie, township freed, the very name of it shall perish. It is to be raised, this once great city, of Jacobinism prophesy right, and a pillar to be erected on the ruins with this inscription, Lyon rebelled against the Republic, Lyon is no more. Fouché, Couton, Collot, convention representatives succeed one another. There is work for the hangman, work for the hammerman, not in building. The very houses of aristocrats, we say, are doomed. Paralytic Couton, born in a chair, taps on the wall with emblematic mallet, saying, La loi te frappe, the law strikes thee. 
Masons with wedge and crowbar begin demolition. Crash of downfall, dim ruin, and dust clouds fly in the winter wind. Had Lyon been of soft stuff, it had all vanished in those weeks, and the Jacobin prophecy had been fulfilled. But towns are not built of soap froth. Lyon town is built of stone. Lyon, though it rebelled against the Republic, is to this day. Neither have the Lyon Girondins all one neck that you could dispatch it at one swoop. Revolutionary tribunal here and military commission, guillotining, fusillading, do what they can. The kennels of the Place des Terreaux run red. Mangled corpses roll down the Rhone. Collot de Bois, they say, was once hissed on the Lyon stage, but with what sibilation of world catcall or horse Tartarian trumpet will ye hiss him now in this his new character of convention representative not to be repeated? Two hundred and nine men are marched forth over the Rhone to be shot in mass by musket and cannon in the promenade of the Brotteaux. It is the second of such scenes. The first was of some seventy. The corpses of the first were flung into the Rhone, but the Rhone stranded some. So these now of the second lot are to be buried on land. Their one long grave is dug. They stand ranked by the loose mould ridge, the younger of them singing the Marseillaise. Jacobin National Guards give fire, but have again to give fire, and again, and to take the bayonet and the spade, for though the doomed all fall, they do not all die, and it becomes a butchery too horrible for speech. So that the very nationals, as they fire, turn away their faces. Collot, snatching the musket from one such national and levelling it with unmoved countenance, says, It is thus a Republican ought to fire. This is the second fusillade, and happily the last. It is found too hideous, even inconvenient. There were two hundred and nine marched out, one escaped at the end of the bridge, yet behold, when you count the corpses, they are two hundred and ten. Read us this riddle, O Collo. After long guessing, it is called to mind that two individuals here in the Brotto ground did attempt to leave the rank, protesting with agony that they were not condemned men, that they were police commissaries, which two we repulsed and disbelieved and shot with the rest. Such is the vengeance of an enraged republic. Surely this, according to Barre's phrase, is justice under rough forms, sude forma serbe. But the Republic, as Fouché says, must march to liberty over corpses. Or again, as Barrère has it, none but the dead do not come back. Il n'y a que les morts qui ne reviennent pas. Terror hovers far and wide. The guillotine goes not ill. But before quitting those southern regions over which history can cast only glances from aloft, she will alight for a moment and look fixedly at one point the siege of Toulon. Much battering and bombarding, heating of balls in furnaces or farmhouses, serving of artillery well and ill, attacking of Olliul passes, Fort Malbosquet, there has been, as yet, a small purpose. We have had General Cato here, a whilom painter, elevated in the troubles of Marseille, General Dropé, a whilom medical man, elevated in the troubles of Piedmont, who under Crancet took Lyon but cannot take too long. 
Finally, we have General Dugomier, a pupil of Washington. Convention representants also we have had. Barassas, Salisettis, Robespierre the Younger, also an artillery chef de brigade of extreme diligence who often takes his nap of sleep among the guns. A short, taciturn, olive-complexioned young man, not unknown to us, by name Bonaparte, one of the best artillery officers yet met with. And still Toulon is not taken. It is the fourth month now, December, in slave style, Frosterius or Frimaire in new style, and still their cursed red-blue flag flies there. They are provisioned from the sea. They have seized all heights, felling wood and fortifying themselves, like the coney they have built their nest in the rocks. Meanwhile, Frosterius has not yet become Snowus or Nivos when a council of war is called. Instructions have just arrived from government and Salut Public. Carnot in Salut Public has sent us a plan of siege on which plan General Dugomier has this criticism to make, Commissioner Salasetti has that, and criticisms and plans are very various. When that young artillery officer ventures to speak, the same whom we saw snatching sleep among the guns, who has emerged several times in this history, the name of him Napoleon Bonaparte. It is his humble opinion, for he has been gliding about with spyglasses, with thoughts, that a certain Fort Leguillette can be clutched as with lion spring on the sudden, where from, were it once ours, the very heart of Toulon might be battered, the English lines were, so to speak, turned inside out, and Hood and our national enemies must next day either put to sea or be burnt to ashes. Commissioners arched their eyebrows with negatory sniff. Who is this young gentleman with more wit than we all? Brave veteran Dugomier, however, thinks the idea worth a word, questions the young gentleman, becomes convinced, and there is, for issue, try it. On the taciturn bronze countenance, therefore, things being now already, there sits a grimmer gravity than ever, compressing a hotter central fire than ever. Yonder, thou seest, is Fort Leguillette, a desperate lion spring, yet a possible one, this day to be tried. Tried it is, and found good. By stratagem and valour, stealing through ravines, plunging fiery through the fire-tempest, Fort Leguillette is clutched at, is carried, the smoke having cleared, wiser the trickler fly on it, the bronze-complexioned young man was right. Next morning, Hood, finding the interior of his lines exposed, his defences turned inside out, makes for his shipping. Taking such royalists as wished it on board with him, he weighs anchor. On this 19th of December, 1793, Toulon is once more the Republic's. Cannonading has ceased at Toulon, and now the guillotining and fusillading may begin. Civil horrors, truly but at least that infamy of an English domination is purged away. Let there be civic feast, universally over France, so reports Barère or Painter David, and the Convention assists in a body. Nay, it is said these infamous English, with an attention rather to their own interests than to ours, set fire to our storehouses, arsenals, warships in Toulon Harbour before weighing, some score of brave warships, the only ones we now had. However, it did not prosper, though the flames spread far and high. Some two ships were burnt, not more. The very galley slaves ran with buckets to quench. 
these same proud ships, ships l'Orient and the rest, have to carry this same young man to Egypt first. Not yet can they be changed to ashes or to sea nymphs, not yet to sky rockets, O ship l'Orient, nor become the prey of England before their time. And so, over France, universally, there is civic feast and high tide, and Toulon sees fusillading, grape-shotting in mass, as Lyon saw, and death is poured out in great floods, vomi à grand flot, and twelve thousand masons are requisitioned from the neighbouring country to raise Toulon from the face of the earth. For it is to be raised, so reports Barère, all but the national shipping establishments, and to be called henceforth not Toulon, but Port of the Mountain. There in black death cloud we must leave it, hoping only that Toulon, too, is built of stone, that perhaps even twelve thousand masons cannot pull it down till the fit pass. One begins to be sick of death vomited in great floods, Nevertheless, hearest thou not, O reader, for the sound reaches through centuries, in the dead December and January nights over Nance Town, confused noises as of musketry and tumult, as of rage and lamentation, mingling with the everlasting moan of the Loire waters there? Nance Town is sunk in sleep, but Representant Carrière is not sleeping. The wool-capped company of Marat is not sleeping. Why unmoors that flat-bottomed craft, that gabar, about eleven at night, with ninety priests under hatches? They are going to Belle-Isle. In the middle of the Loire stream, on signal given, the gabar is scuttled. She sinks with all her cargo. Sentence of deportation, writes Carrier, was executed vertically. The ninety priests with the gabar coffin lie deep. It is the first of the noyades, what we may call drownages of Carrière, which have become famous forever. Guillotining there was at Nantes till the headsman sank worn out, then fusillading in the plain of Saint-Mauve, little children fusilladed, and women with children at the breast, children and women by the hundred and twenty, and by the five hundred, so hot is la Vendée till the very Jacobins grew sick, and all but the company of Marat cried, Hold! Wherefore now we have got Noyarding, and on the twenty-fourth night of Frosterius Year Two, which is 14th of December, 1793, we have a second Noyard, consisting of a 138 persons. Or why waste a Gabar, sinking it with them, fling them out? fling them out with their hands tied, pour a continual hail of lead over all the space till the last struggler of them be sunk. Unsound sleepers of Nantes and the sea villages thereabouts hear the musketry amid the night winds, wonder what the meaning of it is. And women were in that gabar whom the red nightcaps were stripping naked, who begged in their agony that their smocks might not be stripped from them. And young children were thrown in, their mothers vainly pleading. Wolflings, answered the company of Marat, who would grow to be wolves. By degrees, daylight itself witnesses noyards. Women and men are tied together, feet and feet, hands and hands, and flung in. This they call mariage républicain, republican marriage. Cruel is the panther of the woods, 
the she-bear bereaved of her whelps, but there is in man a hatred crueler than that. Dumb, out of suffering now, as pale, swollen corpses, the victims tumble confusedly seaward along the Loire stream, the tide rolling them back, clouds of ravens darken the river, wolves prowl on the shoal places. Carrier writes, Quel torrent révolutionnaire! What a torrent of revolution! For the man is rabid, and the time is rabid. These are the noyades of Carrier, twenty-five by the tale, for what is done in darkness comes to be investigated in sunlight, not to be forgotten for centuries. We will turn to another aspect of the consummation of Sanskalotism, leaving this as the blackest. But indeed men are all rabid, as the time is. Representative Le Bon at Daras dashes his sword into the blood flowing from the guillotine, exclaims, How I like it! Mothers, they say by his order, have to stand by while the guillotine devours their children. A band of music is stationed near, and at the fall of every head strikes up its sa ira. In the Burg of Bedouin, in the Orange region, the Liberty Tree has been cut down overnight. Representative Magnet at Orange hears of it, burns Bedouin Burg to the last dog hutch, guillotines the inhabitants or drives them into the caves and hills. Republic one and indivisible. She is the newest birth of nature's waste inorganic deep, which men name Orcus, Chaos, Primeval Night, and knows one law, that of self-preservation. Tigresse nationale, meddle not with a whisker of her. Swift crushing is her stroke. Look what a paw she spreads. Pity has not entered her heart. Proudhon, the dull, blustering printer and able editor, as yet a Jacobin editor, will become a renegade one and publish large volumes on these matters, Crimes of the Revolution, adding innumerable lies withal as if the truth were not sufficient. We, for our part, find it more edifying to know, one good time, that this Republican national tigress is a new birth, a fact of nature among formulas in an age of formulas, and to look, oftenest in silence, how the so genuine nature fact will demean itself among these. For the formulas are partly genuine, partly delusive, suppositious. We call them, in the language of metaphor, regulated, modelled shapes, some of which have bodies and life still in them, most of which, according to a German writer, have only emptiness, glass eyes glaring on you with a ghastly affectation of life, and in their interior, unclean accumulation of beetles and spiders. But the fact, let all men observe, is a genuine and sincere one, the sincerest of facts, terrible in its sincerity as very death. Whatsoever is equally sincere may front it and beard it, but whatsoever is not. End of Book 5, Chapter 3